Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Uh, I got this pile of games. Do you want to just pick one so we can play a new game? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Which one do you want? Uh, ladies' choice. We've got so many <laughs> games to pick from. <laughs> And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am your host, Phil, with way too many games that I haven't played because I keep backing them on Kickstarter. Did you already say your name? There was so much there that I forgot that you had said your name. And I'm your other host, Senda, who is in the same boat. Uh, we are pool, indeed. As the case may be. <laughs> and even worse, because... Um, over the last year or so, you and I have coordinated so that yeah. we're not double backing. We're really trying. <laughs> Actually, we never double back the physical copy. We, In order to show our support, we often will back the same Kickstarter. But yes. one of us will back it in physical and one of us just backs yeah. it in PDF. Um, so we, we both end up with PDF. Correct. And then one of us has a book because, well, yes. that's how that's that's how we're, that's eventually how our, a library doesn't um explode it's yes our future library will not explode yes <laughs> yes cool cool um hey what's our topic for today hey well our topic for today comes to us from jt evans actually in the slack room uh for life uh which thank you very much for your ongoing patronage um jt um and uh his question was how to frequently change game systems without totally freaking out your players there are some considerations here. System mastery, falling in love with a character and then shifting to a totally new system. Money outlay for buying all of those new systems. Boy, is that a thing. Um, the root cause of this in my group is Kickstarter. There are so many games my group has collectively backed and we want to bring those games to the table. However, it's a tall order, at least with my group, to run shorter campaigns slash games. Yeah, we got a lot to unpack here. Um, but I feel like... We are good people to do this because um, you and I are both, um, as you know, polygamerous. Uh, we play mm -hmm. many, many different games. Actually, I yes. think we said, what is it? Are we poly or pan gamerous? I think it might it's, really be it's splitting hairs, but. It is a bit. I mean, the only problem with pan gamerous is when you spell it out, it looks like pangerous. Polygamer like, seems to <laughs> has better optics is what you're telling right? me. Yeah. Yes, I'm telling you from a branding perspective, it might be better. That's fair. Um, no? Because I feel like if we said by gamerous, then we, we walk into the trap of like the discussion of buy and pan and how people, you know, talk about them is for some people, they are the same expression. And for some people, they are. It different. gets messy. It's very messy. Right. So, but also Pangorous is like not exactly. Yeah, Pangorous doesn't look good. All right, back to polygamerous. Because we are polygamerous, um, this is one that uh, I feel pretty confident on um, just because um, we have, um, uh, we've been here, right? We, I don't even want to say been here. We, we live here. Um, yeah. We live in a I space where we play lots of different games. Definitely um, live here. With, yeah. with both of our home game groups. So I think we have, you know, we have some good, um, I think we have some good solid advice in this. I, I will say just picking apart some of the things from JT's um, from JT's thing. Um, we're going to talk about some of the things that JT talked about, like the money for outline for putting out systems, falling in love with a character and shifting. Um, 
I get some of that. Um, shorter campaigns is going to be, um, well, so it's a tall order to run shorter campaigns. That's going to um, definitely butt up against some of our advice. Um, yeah. Not to spoil things, but some but, of our yeah. advice has to do with shorter campaigns and games. Yeah, because there just literally are only so many hours in the day. Correct. And only so many hours you can spend gaming. So you are definitely making a decision about which games you spend those hours on. And when that time itself is a limited resource, you know, that's, that, that is an inevitable issue. Right. So before we get into our actual discussion, the of course, the um, simplest solution to your problem is um, if your group hits the Powerball... Um, and becomes independently wealthy, you have all the time in the world um, <laughs> to do this uh, because you won't have to work. But yeah, assuming that you, you have go. not hit the Powerball and you have a finite amount of time for gaming, we're going to work in that space today. Yes. Cool. Good. Okay. All right. I'm going to knock out a few quick definitions and then we'll get into the crux of what we're talking about today um, because we're going to just throw some terms around here. Uh, the first one, and I hate I hate definitions that I can't nail down cleanly, and this is one of them, system. Um, yeah. System is the rules of a game, yes. right? The mechanics, the procedures, the thing that you, you know, you read in order to learn how to resolve tasks, combat, that kind of thing. That's the rules of the game. Separate from setting, right? Setting yes. is the world we play in, and situation is the thing that the characters do um, when they play the game. So, the reason why system is nebulous um, and why I don't love this term, but there's no way to get around it. Um, we use system to mean a couple of things, right? So we can mean, we can say system to mean a specific game, right? Like we can talk about like blades in the dark. That's a system, right? Mm -hmm. The actual blades in the dark game. But then we also sometimes refer to systems as families of systems, right? So forged in the dark is the blades is, is blades in the darks framework that it's built upon. Yes. And then other games have been built upon that framework. Um, same thing with like D20, PBTA, yep. those kinds of things, right? Yeah. So um, there's like an overall system and then there's the game you're playing. Systems, but yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one is addition. This one's actually a little cleaner. It's an updated version of a system, right? There is a default that the first time you write a game, that is that is, that is the first edition of the game. Not mm -hmm. that it's ever really stated. Um, you will know a game is a first edition when the second edition comes out. Yes. <laughs> um, the second edition instantly defines the first edition of the game. Yes. Um, yeah. So the second edition or any future edition is an updated version of a system. Um, these editions can be minor changes. So if we look at like Call of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu, I think is like on its seventh edition. It's not radically different from first. There are there changes. Absolutely. Um, if you only played... Um, first edition Call of Cthulhu, would it be hard to learn seventh? Not really, right? Like, it, like there's a pretty, like there's a progression of, of small changes through Call of Cthulhu. Or editions can change in major ways like D&D, &D, where yeah. third edition, fourth edition, and fifth edition are somewhat related to each other, mostly by terms and a yeah. D20 die. And a D20 base, like, right. skill system. After yeah. that... The, the difference between third and fourth edition is pretty stark. The difference between yes. fourth and fifth is pretty stark. Very stark. Yeah. Um, and those are like, that's just how D&D &D rolls because for them, the brand um, is more important. So they'll gut the entire game system under 
neath the banner of D&D because it is important for them not to mess with D&D. Yes. As a brand. Okay. Yes. Next term, and the last one I want to talk about is a term called system mastery, which I think JT also used in his description. System mastery being how well you know slash understand a given system. Yes, as what? in not the not the system mastery podcast, the system mastery. Right. I love the I love the name of the podcast for just <laughs> the fact what it stands for. Right. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but system mastery is um, it's it it so for some people system mastery is really important. They really like to know how a game works. Um, and for other people, it is less important because um, they'll just learn enough um, to get along. Yeah. Hello. Right. right. There was well, a time in my life when system mastery was really important to me, and then I just let it go. Like, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? Like, there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with wanting to be like super proficient in a game that you really enjoy playing and like learning absolutely all not. about it and learning strategy and things like that. Super. It's, it's, it is. It is, in fact, a really cool way to remain engaged in a game and a system between game sessions, <laughs> and that's how it worked for me when I was really into it. Yeah. Um, and, I don't have as much time in my life anymore to spend reading rule books or forums like mm -hmm. so for instance um D, D and pathfinder um rewarded system mastery in that oh, very much so yeah in that um the more digging you did about your character class your abilities your feats and things like that and how to link them together um you would you would gain in-game rewards as in your character bonuses would be higher you could do more cool things that kind of thing right yes so there are a lot of like for especially for like D, &D there's a lot of discussion like there used to be um because i'm not in there now but like in the you know in third edition there was like vast endless discussion on forum boards right like uh, forums about like how would this stack with this and what if you put this this and this together and what's the best progression for rogue to get to this prestige class and i have to suspect while I'm not playing fifth edition, that something like that exists um, in the internet space uh, for fifth edition, right? I, and absolutely for Pathfinder. Like I 100% believe that that's still out there for Pathfinder as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yep. system mastery is a form of fun that, that some people derive from games. Yes. And we don't yuck people's yums. So totally fine. Cool. It's not a yep. thing that I think either you nor I really strive for anymore. No, I yeah, it's it's it. Like I said, it's just not. I it, it, I'm in a place in my life where um, what as I'm picking and choosing the fun that I'm going to get out of a game or a particular game experience, um, I have a, a going back to talking about specific amounts of time. Right, I have a specific amount of time that I get to set aside for gaming in my week. Um, and so I have slimmed down my activities to be the ones that give me the most, me personally, right, the yep. most reward for the amount of time that I spend. Um, so System Mastery is one of the ones that fell by the wayside for me because um, it wasn't um, one of the, the best back feedback loops for me. Right now, having said that, if I were still playing D and D or Pathfinder with consistency, um, like you said, there's a loop there in which you actually gain in-game rewards for knowing stuff. Right, like when I ended up in a Pathfinder campaign and I was playing a rogue, and suddenly everything was undead, and I was like, "Great, I can't use my sneak attack on anything." Well, that's not actually true, and like doing the work and research to determine 
the fact that the Pathfinder rogue sneak attack was in fact differentiated from the three and three five D and D edition sneak attacks um, by means of like as long as there was basically a target to hit, you could still get that sneak attack. So you couldn't do like swarms and like miasmas or something, but like you could do undead. Um, like knowing that made a huge difference in terms of my rewards and play because suddenly I got to use my sneak attack a whole bunch more, which if you're playing a rogue, like that's what you're there for. <laughs> so yeah, that was a long story to get to system mastery. It will also depend on what game you're playing, how much reward you're getting out of that. Um, anyway, now I'm playing lots of powered by the apocalypse. And so there's less like, yeah, I, yeah. So I'll, I'll say this. I, uh, for me, because I'm GMing, I require enough system mastery to smoothly run a game. And yes. then anything above that um, is if I have time, right? So like I will strive for enough, enough system mastery to run a successful game without having to stop and check the book all the time. Yes. And then beyond that, mm, it'll depend like it'll depend if i have time it'll depend on how excited i am about the game or whatever yeah so if it's, feed, if it's feeding you spoons sure then sure yeah. but some but sometimes i get to like 60 percent system mastery and i'm like yep. ah, i have enough mechanics yeah, cool. here to keep running the game i'm yeah, we're good. i'm getting what i need from the like i'm getting what i need at this point and yeah. the table's running smoothly okay yeah. but this is not a talk about system mastery yes a future topic <laughs> we could bring up um, but let's <laughs> now is. switch to back to JT's comment, talking about changing games um, and get into like kind of what we're really talking about here today. Yeah, because what we're really what we're really actually talking about is managing change with groups of people um, and that actual functional overall how you manage change for people doesn't change dramatically whether we're talking games or work or what right as humans we aren't always great at change um so there's basically three things that you need to manage for any um any group changes that you're talking about and we're going to get into more detail in all of these but essentially you got to manage expectations right you got to change expectations you got to manage fears or concerns and you have to manage what people desire or what they want out of it right yeah yeah, desire and expectations are kind of the um, are similar. Uh, actually, similar. they're all no. similar, right? Expectations yeah, I mean, is the overall umbrella. Fears, yes. concerns, desires are like part of those expectations. But again, change management, um, and I say this in terms of people, not software. So if you're if you're into if you're in IT, change management in IT is actually a very deliberate process for reasons, right? That is good. <laughs> um, and needed change management for people, right? Affecting change in people, um, like adoption of new software, adoption of new versions, right? Turns out to be very similar to what we're talking about here because yes, and because at its not to get not to get wildly off tangent, but role playing games are just software, right? In, they're in, like in, written in paper, down software, yeah, yeah. They're, they're written that down. You software. run with you run with your computer brains, <laughs> exactly. So like. So think about it. Not every, some people really just like logging into their Windows machine or their Mac machine and yep. never want to change that. And never other people it. will swap out their operating systems at a heartbeat if you if you let them or play different games whatever. We're, this is where we are right now, right? So we're what we're talking about here is changing up games is like changing software. We are dealing with the people 
portion of this change management. Yes. Okay. I'm going to unpack a little bit about expectations and then yes. you want to just ping pong our way. Like we'll just, we'll take turns on the other two. Sure. Okay. So managing expectations is managing the expectations for your group, right? Your group is coming in with some set of um, expectations about what a new game is going to be. Your job, if you are bringing in the game, right? Somebody has to bring the game into the group. Somebody is the ambassador for this game, typically the person who's going to GM it. Um, You need to make sure that you are setting expectations with your group and that everyone is on the same page. Yes. Right. And that's identifying the group's expectations, identifying your own expectations, right? By by figuring out what those are, talking to each other, and then making one set of expectations. Yes. Right? Because mismatched expectations in general is a killer for most games. Yeah. It can it, the number one set of problems besides somebody being an asshole is mismatched ex- expectations. Yes. Players expect one thing, GM expects another, one player expects one thing, another player expects another thing, right? Mismatched expectations is always a speed bump. It's always so, a speed bump and sometimes leads to people acting like assholes, so then they all get tangled together. Correct. So managing expectations, that's a big deal. Yes. All right, talk about fears and concerns. Right, so when we talk about fears and concerns, what we're really talking about understanding um, the things that may cause people to be uncomfortable or anxious or just be like eh, reluctant about going into a new um, system or game or whatever it is, right? Um, so the first part of that is understanding what they really are, which requires communication both in terms of getting that information from them and in terms of people understanding themselves why they are reluctant or what they are worried about um, in doing a switch, right? Um, and then from there, it's really important that we're not like, oh, you're, you're scared of using D4s instead of D20s, like, whatever, that's not a big deal. No, like, so whatever concerns are there, whether they appear to be big on the outside or not, they are valid because they're coming from someplace for that person. And whether that's the same place you're coming from or not, it doesn't invalidate the fact that they have that concern, right? So it's important that we then validate those because they are real, Um, And then from there, you can um, mediate um, to come to a place where hopefully you can, um, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? We can mitigate um, some or all of those concerns, enough of them that you can make it more comfortable, right? So if someone is, um, you know, specifically uncomfortable about um, a genre or something, then maybe, maybe it's you know, a PBTA game, but it's not this one. It's a different one that's in a different genre, whatever it is, right? Like this is where you have that discussion that you can come to the table and find the place where you can make the change that you can also make sure that you're not hitting things that people are specifically worried about to the best of your ability, or at least that you can, you know, take mitigating measures to make them less of a concern, right? Yeah, and even if the concern isn't... um going to be like not all concerns are um will actually come to fruition right yes it's still valid that someone has that concern but it you know it can actually just be a misunderstanding 100 percent. yeah but it's important to get those concerns out right like so that you can address like oh 
you know, like somebody might be like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to play this game because I heard like, um, like level progression super hard. Yeah. Right? But they like read it in a tweet somewhere. Like, and then like the person who's like learning the game is like, actually, I get that you're concerned about it, but like, take a look. I don't think it's as bad as you think it is. Right. I mean, or you can get into situations, right? Like where um, my personal first experience at uh, as at a game as a one shot with Cortex was not great, right? Yes. I didn't have a great first experience with it. And so, um, you know, if you had come to me um, to be like, let's play Cortex and it had been six months ago and I hadn't been watching you like go through this game and be really excited about it and like start a new thing and be really happy with the tools that it was giving you. Um, I would have concerns about the fact that you are coming to me to be like, I think maybe we should move our game to Cortex, that it might do more of what we want. We would have some intense conversation about um, like my previous experience versus what your expectations are um, because my first experience with that game wasn't great. And I don't, at this point I can, you know, I can say pretty confidently, I don't think that it was the game's fault. I think it was um, not a conducive environment and maybe not, um, maybe not a GM who was super comfortable with running what he was trying to run, you know, a whole bunch of things, right. That are not the game's fault, but you know, you can have people with prior experiences like that, that you're going to have to potentially manage those concerns, um, you know, going into that. And I know that there's people who've had bad experiences with, you know, all sorts of like families of PBTA systems, games, exactly. yeah, all sorts of things. Right. Hey, um, do me a favor, talk about desires and then we need to, um, and then we need to push on as I'm looking oh, at the, boy. as I'm watching our timer. We're being verbose today and you have we brownies are. to make my friend. Um, fantastic. So, uh, so let's talk about desires. Desires are the things that we want to get out of the game that we play at the table. So there are the things that you want, you, the person who is the ambassador for this game at the table, what are you trying to get out of it? There are things that the group wants, right? So what do they want from their gameplay experience, like as everyone else? And then how do you find um, the shared ground in which you accomplish as many of both of those sets of things as possible? Yep. That doesn't necessarily mean that you accomplish every single one of them, but as many as possible and enough of them that everyone is happy and excited about the idea of playing this game. Yeah? Absolutely. Cool. So no surprise here. Yeah. The secret to all of this change <laughs> is communication. Yeah, it's like that pie chart that was on Twitter that we were like, oh no, you're giving away all our secrets. <laughs> yes, I've revised that, right? Our job now is not, our job is, the answer is always communication. Our job is to help you frame that communication. Yes, correct. Yeah, that's yes. what we're doing. Cool. That's what we're here for. Uh, (laughs) But you do actually have to talk about these things. Expectations, fears, concerns, desires. Like, those are things you have to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when we get into new systems, there are things that are fun and not fun. We have made a list that is based on our experiences. Yep. So this is definitely our personal experiences. Correct. And sometimes they're just... um, I don't even want to say personal experiences. When I was putting this list together during the prep for the show, I was in the not fun list. I was thinking of common reasons why people don't like to play new games. Yeah, that's fair. So I can't even say they're my feelings about them. Yeah. I just like I grabbed what I what my perception was of common feelings. 
Some yeah. of which JT touched on. Yep. Some of which I added. And then I thought of things that, in the fun list, things that you and I enjoy about new systems. Now, I'm going to put this disclaimer on here right now. For everything that's in one of these columns, for somebody, it's in the other column. Right. It could okay. absolutely be the opposite. It truly is 100%. your personal preference. Yeah. We're going to go with our list because um, we're here on the show and you're not here to debate us in person. <laughs> but understand that we understand that for every one of these, somebody might be like, bah, that's not fun for me. We understand that's true. Yeah. And part of your communication mm-hmm. with your group is to understand the fun and not fun columns here. Yes. Okay. Yes. Tell me yep. what is fun. Um, well, there's eight types of fun. No. Um, <laughs> good. So for things that are fun specifically about trying new games, and this, I think, does pretty much align with my personal experience as well as Phil's, um, I really like trying new new genres and new settings. Um, in fact, this is a huge part of my fun is that um, changing systems and changing games lets me bounce from you know, genre to genre to genre all over the place. And I love it a lot. Um, It gives us the chance to try different mechanics. Um, I like playing lots of different games. I like um, seeing how different mechanics um, push you to different styles of play. Um, Inevitably, when you play a bunch of different games, you're probably going to find some that, you know, you settle into as like default favorites and that's fine. But like, I'm still playing lots of new things. Um, it lets you broaden your taste in games. Um, so one of the things that doing She's a Super Geek did for me is I played so many games. So many. Um, and what's really cool about that is kind of going back to the last point of trying different mechanics. I actually have a pretty good idea these days of what kind of mechanics I like. So that even if I haven't played a game before, I can get a pretty good idea if I'm going to enjoy the mechanics or not based on just a quick read through of what they look like, right? Um, Which I think is pretty cool and has allowed me to pinpoint with a lot more accuracy as I get new, new games, right? Which ones are going to be successful for me personally and which ones might not be. Um, And it, which ties right into the last thing that's really fun, which is finding new things to enjoy. Finding new games, finding new genres, um, finding stuff that you may not have ever thought of before, that you get to play in and have those really cool experiences. Obviously, all of these things excite me a lot because I get to talk about them in very positive, optimistic ways. Because <laughs> I've really enjoyed them. But Phil, tell me about some things that could potentially be not fun. Sure. Um, learning new systems might not be fun for you, right? Again, it might not be that learning new systems isn't fun. It might be that you don't have the time to learn new systems. Now, right. some people will just not like learning new systems. Like I've played this, I've played this particular role-playing game since I was in high school and I just like playing this game. Mm-hmm. Other people would be like, I would love to play that game, but your 600-page rule book terrifies me. I don't have the kind of time to digest this rule book. Yes, yes, hello. Yes. <laughs> um, buying new games can be fun um, but it can also not be fun if you are um, if you have financial concerns or if you are churning through a bunch of games like yeah we churn through a bunch of games and it's not always cheap 
right? Yeah. Like new rule books, new PDFs. Um, if you get into a game to any length of time, supplements or other materials for that the game needs to run, those kinds of things. And if you're just doing this a lot, it can get like, expensive. It can get expensive. So yeah. Um, there is the general fear of things that are new and different, right? Not everybody likes to um, try new things, right? You obviously know people in your life who love new things, new adventures, new foods, that kind of thing. They thrive off of it. Um, but there are people who are very much like, I like to eat the same thing every day. I don't want to change what I'm eating. So there's that fear, fear of the new and different. Yeah, the actually, I think the biggest hump for me was this one right here um, in terms of starting to play new games. So this is just speaking from personal experience. I, because I had spent so much time in D&D um, and Pathfinder, it was a really big hump for me to get over my fear of not being as competent as, at a new game or that not knowing what I would was doing would be embarrassing, right? You've... you've- jumped into my next bullet point oh i'm so sorry my next my next bullet point (laughs) which is not being good at the new system i was just really excited to talk about my personal experience and why it took me so long to start playing other games (laughs) yeah so that's another fear people can have right like if you've been playing a particular game for many years you're actually pretty good at it um And now switching to a new game, you're not going to be good at it. You're going to fumble through it. You're going to not know rules. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to not optimize your character design, whatever. Um, And that may not be fun for you, right? Learn, like, maybe you are very comfortable where you are on the learning curve and don't want to go back to the beginning of the learning curve. Yeah. Meanwhile, again, some people love that, right? So, uh, and lastly, the other one is fear of being stuck, Um, and this is really, I guess, basically um, fear of um, known expectation and content versus unknown expectation and content, right? Yeah. This is why a lot of us during the pandemic um, fell back to things that we were familiar with, like watching reruns of TV shows and stuff like that, right. because they we were read known quantities. So many books. <laughs> right. Rather than rather than starting a new show and being like stuck in a thing that you were unsure you would like and have like, you know, feel like you were obligated to finish. This is so fear of being stuck is the concern that, um, you switch out games, um, you jump into it and you're now stuck playing it probably because everyone else likes it. Yeah. Right. So like maybe you're the only person who doesn't like this new game, but now you're stuck because the rest of your group likes it. And, it's sometimes easier not to switch games than to be worried about getting um, being the one stuck in a game go- like that. Yep, that you don't okay. like. Mm-hmm. All right, Senda, there's one formula for getting people to try new games, right? There's like a simplified formula for this. What is it? Yeah, I feel like we should like have this on a chalkboard and, and write it out. But basically what you need is that the stuff in the fun column has to outweigh the stuff in the not fun column for people to be excited. So fun has to be greater than not fun equals a happy game. smiley yep. face. <laughs> yeah. I mean look, this is like this is also true like if we're drawing our parallels to software, right? This also has to be true, right? Not fun things is like upgrading your computer. Um the potential that the upgrade won't work or whatever. Fun things are like um 
Oh, we, I don't know. Not fun things are also like having to buy new hardware or whatever. Fun mm-hmm. things are like features, right? That are like, mm-hmm. this is going to be a blast once my computer can do this or this game, whatever, right? Yep. The same thing is true here for role-playing games. The fun part, right, needs to be greater than the not fun. Yeah. So basically, everything from from here out, what you're really doing to try to get your group to play more games is to minimize the not fun part and maximize the fun part. Right. And so min max it. <laughs> right. If you are so to go back one more segment here. Yes. If you are talking and having that open communication about expectations, fears, concerns, and desires. Yes. You're going to figure out what the fun what things are in the fun column and what things are in the not fun column. Yes. And so now we're going to help you tackle the not fun part. Yes. So these are just some generalized tips for minimizing the not fun. Yep. And you just use the ones that fit for you. Yes. 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 Um, So how about we each do a not fun? Like a category of not fun? Yeah. Yeah. Like why don't you do the tips about learning new (laughs) systems? Isn't it great that we plan this out so very carefully before nah, we, we turn on the mics? We have that help us direct ourselves while we're yeah, in the middle of the show. It's fine. Okay, cool. Um, cool. So the first one is learning new systems. And um, this is definitely a hump, I think, especially if you are accustomed to thinking of all systems being very large um, books, right? Then it's intimidating. Um, so one of the tips there is to, uh, to avoid super crunchy systems right so if you're approaching your table and saying i would like to play a new and different game and they in their heads they all immediately go oh another 600 pages right um you can say and here it is it's one page lasers and feelings um and they are significantly more likely to be like oh okay (laughs) um you can, if, you, if you're not into um, or don't want to play something that's smaller like that, if the thing that you really want to play is another large system, you can take the onus of learning that system yourself so that you can teach it and train for it at the table, right? Um, and to make sure also that you are then not, um, not punishing them as players for not knowing the system as well as you do, right? Like, so there's there's actually kind of two parts to that. You have to be a benevolent coach. Um, you have to be encouraging and giving them options that they might have missed. If there's things like that that would help them, you have to be um, giving with those if you know them. Um, and you have to also be a patient coach with them um, that will be kind about when they make mistakes or don't know where something is on the character sheet or whatever it is, right? You have to make that an experience that won't be painful. Um, you can pick lighter systems, which is sort of the opposite of avoiding the crunchy ones. So that's walking in with lasers and feelings instead of, uh, you know, another D&D book. Um, and um, to go hand in hand with training, you can make or find cheat sheets for everyone of the specific and really important stuff that they need to know, right? And depending on the system, that might be like, okay, here's the cheat sheet for like all of the commonly used things. Or it might be like, I see you're playing a rogue, so I've printed out this rogue cheat sheet for you that has the common stuff for the game in general on it. And also like the things that you as a rogue need to primarily remember, like this is when you get your sneak attack, for example, right? I always use rogue as like crunchy game examples just because it's the one that's that had it's your background. 
such system mastery of like so much system wizard mastery. Wizard is the other choice, right? Wizard is the other system mastery. Not for me. No, but picking spells is a thing. Picking spells is definitely a thing. Yeah. Um so that's that's kind of the idea is um those are um mediation techniques to make that um investment in learning a new system be less intimidating. Sure. Right? So what's another thing that we can do? Sure. If we're addressing the um, concerns about buying new games, here's a couple things you can do, right? Um, start with an initial low investment, right? Buy the PDF. Yeah. Right? Don't go Don't go um, full physical and don't go for all the supplements right away, right? Just get the PDF. Um, PDF is often, um, it's often less expensive than the, uh, it's, it is less expensive um, than, the pay, than the printed version. Um, and sometimes it's, a lot less expensive. Sometimes it isn't and just respect that, that Mm -hmm. some people don't like some people don't turn their PDFs into half the price of their um, books. Respect that whatever it took them to make that PDF, that's what they need to get paid for. Yes. But PDF is always going to be cheaper than book because you're simply not paying for the actual materials of the printed book and the printing process. Yeah. Along these same lines, um, eBay, um, like if you can buy a thing used, right. Um, if, if you, you buy have a thing a used, that's a low... Like, like Black and Red yes. in Denver. Boy, if you're ever in Denver, you might want to check out Black and Red. <laughs> yeah. So Free again, low, initial, initial low investment, right? Yes. I, the idea being don't spend, don't make everyone spend a ton of money. Um, the next one, I don't know, may ruffle some feathers, but I also publish games. So I'm going to just say this as that I don't, it doesn't ruffle my feathers. And again, I'll say this initially, share, share the PDF file, Right. If you're going to play the game long term, support your creator and everybody, you know, buy a book, buy a rule book, pay for a PDF, whatever. I'm all for that. But if you're just trying to figure out if you like a game and somebody owns it and shares you a copy of it, like, look, the world's not going to end. But again, show your love. If you are going to play the game, like if you if you play a session, you're like, wow, that was really good. I should get into this game. Um, Do so. I actually did that with Cortex. My initial, I'm going to be honest, my initial reading of Cortex was a copy of a file from a, um, from a person in my game group. And um, as soon as I started, as soon as I decided I was going to run the game, I went and bought my own copy. Yeah. I was like, cool, thank you. Like, I'm like, I'm cool. I saw what I needed to see. I definitely like this game. And I went and bought myself the digital version. And I actually put the paper version on my Amazon wish list for my birthday. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to dead, I'm going to back, I'm going to buy it twice. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. Okay. Um, if you're also worried about cost, look for quick starts. Most big games have a quick start, which is a stripped down version of the rules with some pre-gen characters and an adventure. It is a great way to find out if you're going to enjoy a game. In fact, publishers who publish bigger games want you to go test drive the quick start. Because what they want you to do is they don't want you to be mad that you spent $50 on a game that you wound up not liking when you could have just played the quick start, found out you didn't like the game. And then you'll be more apt to try another game from that publisher because like you basically figured out this one's not for me. I didn't really spend too much money on it. So cool. Like I'm apt to try another one of their quick starts. Mm -hmm. Um, So quick starts are fantastic. Like I know it's not the full game, if you're if you're worried about cost and you're not sure if you're going to play the game long term, get a quick start. Yeah, you can always then go get the game, 
right? Yeah. The D&D basic box set was a great example of this, like enough material to actually play and be like, oh, shit, this was a lot of fun. Cool. Now go get a player's handbook. Yeah, they're doing that again. Did you know? And they sell them at Target. There's a starter yeah, set and brilliant. an essentials. It's really smart. My yeah. kiddo's been giving them his birthday presents yes. to all of his friends because it's also a low enough investment that, you know, I can be like, yes, that's a birthday present instead of the full book is is 50 bucks, right? Like I'm not going to buy every child that he's friends with a $50 book for their 14th yeah. birthday, right? Like, <laughs> but like, and like fate accelerated did this savage worlds at one time did this, right? Like, like again, the low cost of entry, right? Yes. Cool. Um, also keep in mind, small indie games are often less expensive than big giant games. Um, small indie games are usually, um, uh, what you call it, smaller in page count. Yes. And often either just in PDF or they do, they've done like PDF and print run through a Kickstarter or something. Um, but you can often find a like small indie games relatively inexpensive. If you go on to itch, you can find all sorts of games for so many, so for, many for games. A song, right? honestly. Yeah. Um, and and there, but there are some key things to remember. Right, you are paying them for their labor, and mm-hmm. so you know it does mean like when you have a game that's a lot less expensive, you are probably talking about a smaller page count, and that is expected. And when you're paying. Wizards of the Coast for D&D, you're paying them not just for the publishing, you're paying them for all of the people who were involved, both in writing, playtesting, art, etc. for that game. And that's a lot, right? Yeah. So it's not that, um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, uh, in a nutshell, we support people charging appropriate prices for their games. (laughs) I will say this. I will even say this. Um, Wizards can handle you finding their shit on sale. Yeah. Right. They totally like, if can. If you can like if you can find that Target is selling like one of those box sets on oh, yeah. sale. For fifteen bucks, yes. Right. Go buy it on Do sale. It. Do it. But yeah. when you go to itch to hit up your small indie game throw um, them a couple person, more bucks. Throw them a few yeah. extra bucks because you can do that in itch. You yeah, can be yeah. like the cost like, of the game is this but I'm going to pay this much more. Right. Here's the minimal cost of what they will charge you, what they will give you the game for. Toss them some more bucks. Yeah. Hit them up with a few extra bucks. Yeah. Absolutely. If you can afford it. Like again, again, right. If you can afford it, that is absolutely one of the things. All right, cool. Tell me about fear of the new. How do we deal with fear of the new? Yeah. Fear of the new is definitely a thing because sometimes it just has to do with like the, this is really where we get into, this is the fear of change, right? This is going to be different and I don't know what it's going to be and I don't know what to expect from it entirely. So the thing that you can do specifically with the fear of the new um, is to try to keep some parts of it the same so that there is some kind of anchor um, for people to be like, well, I know we're changing, blah, 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 right? But at least XYZ will still be how I expect it to be, right? So um, you can find related systems or games, right? So if you're really into playing um, D20 games or you've been playing D&D or whatever it is, um, you might try an initial change to a different D20 system or a different D20 setting that is built to even work on the same rule set as 5th edition. But to still just, you know, twist it into like, okay, cool, we're still playing D20, but now we're going to do sci-fi or whatever it is. Um, so then the anchor is still, I still know how to play D20. Um, you can find related genres. So if you were playing d and I'm using d and as an example a lot, but go with it with me. Um, you might, um, you might say, I really want to try a different system, but we're having a lot of fun playing fantasy. So, um, you know, here's Dungeon World. Let's, 
let's try this and see how we feel about it. Because then then we're not shifting genres. Everybody's still really comfortable with the genre stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or you can find a game with related interest. So this is a little bit genre or a little bit, you know, system kind of depends on where you're going. But if you're playing D&D, really into fantasy stuff, maybe everybody is also really into Lord of the Rings. And so you can take sort of that step into playing the new Lord of the Rings game. Mm-hmm. Um, and see if everybody likes that because that's another place that they have comfort and familiarity and it's still a fantasy game, right? Exactly. So thought process. In fact, playing, playing the genre might be, um, like one of the, like one of the key parts of the fun column for them. It might be. Yeah. And that's yeah. Im- that, which is part of the reason it's so important that you have those original conversations we were talking about so that you understand what yep. the fun column is with the understanding of what the fun column is, you can help mitigate the fear of the new by making sure that you're not removing the thing that they're having fun with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if part of their fun column is, I like playing things that are fantasy, then um, maybe not shove a sci-fi game at them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, fear of not being good at a new game. Some of these um, tips are going to overlap with some of the things we've already talked about. Related systems is a great way to mitigate this, right? If um, if people are worried about not being good, um, you know, at a new game and you can find a 5e version of something, which is one of the rare times you will hear me endorse a 5e version of something. I know, I know. Um, but it's true, right? Like if you wanted <laughs> to is, play yes. something else yeah. and somebody was like, oh, I really only want to play um, 5e and I think I, I'm think this is true esper genesis is like a cyberpunk sci-fi game that is built on 5e right that's a good way to keep some mastery while some of the names will have changed the overall mechanics of the game remain the same and people will still retain some of their mastery yeah and the the Um, feel of the system itself is unlikely to change significantly yeah simple systems are also good um, because people who are good at learning games will learn them quickly. Yes. Right? They'll, their mastery will shoot up yes, very um, fast. relatively quickly. Yeah. Cheat sheets all are often helpful. I love cheat um, sheets. <laughs> I love cheat sheets as well, right? Like make a cheat sheet is a great way to help people gain system mastery. Uh, last one is APs. Find an AP that um, still has all the mechanics of the game in it. Like one that isn't editing out the mechanics. Right. Well, and, I mean, and give it a listen. I would even say it's okay if they edit some of them as long as you get broadly the idea of them. Exactly. I definitely walked into a fourth edition game having never picked up the rule books completely based on just listening to Crit Juice and was like, I'm pretty sure I understand the basics of this. Let's go. I mean, it's also D20, right? So like between my yeah. previous D20 experience and then listening to that game, I was like, whatever. And then proceeded to run in fourth edition, still having never read the books. Um, so, you know, I mean, but <laughs> I'm not that I would necessarily recommend that particular course of then running a game without ever having read it to to, to everybody in the world, you know, like it, it, as an example, um, I think that it it works. And sometimes it's easier to pick up things that are very technical by listening to other people do them or watching other people do them instead of trying to parse them from text. And I mm-hmm. think that just depends on how you pick things up best. Um, it's very much the same thing as like sometimes with board games, I have to be like, look, I've read all of these rules. I'm not sure that they 100% make sense. Let's step through this so we can see how it works. And then when you actually do it, you're like, oh, this completely makes sense. But I wasn't sure based on the text, right? right. Now, now I will, for a board game, I will go watch a YouTube video of oh, yeah. the game being played, mm-hmm. right? 
because that is like immensely helpful for me. Yeah, it's, um, so much, it's the reason that um, Will Wheaton was so successful yes. at showing oh. people board games. <sighs> Let me tell right? you, I bought almost every game that I watched that right. stupid show on. Right. right. Like, <laughs> I'd watch the game and I'd be like, oh, shit, yeah. Like, oh, and then no, I'd go buy it. it makes tons of sense. It's really straightforward yeah. to pick up and I'm going to go play this game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, what's our last one? Good question. I should turn the page. There we go. Uh, fear of being stuck. So this is where... You know, now I'm concerned that if I try this new thing, that I'm potentially giving up some of the things that are my fun from gaming, and I don't necessarily know if I'm going to get them back or not, right? Whether that means I don't know if I'm going to get them from the new system or, and like, but everybody else likes it, or like, we're never going back to the thing that I know that I really like, you know, that, those feelings, right? So Phil has a four game rule. Um, I do not have a four game rule. And I will be honest, um, I do not have a four-game rule because in my current in-person group, um, we don't play a lot of games for significantly longer than four sessions. Um, so we'll play for eight or 12, um, but we all know that they're going to come to an end. We tell single stories, right? And I think that's why we don't have something like that. I love Phil's four-game rule because... What it does is it gives you the opportunity to say, um, we might be playing this game for a really long time and I am making decisions right now without the full information of how the game plays at the table or if I'm making the best decisions for this character to work the way that I want to play them. Um, and having that sort of buffer zone in which you can be like, I did not make the right decision at character creation right? Um, or, you know, let's give this um, some time to see if we really get into it. But after four games, if we're all not feeling it, that we have that kind of escape route built in, right? That you can have that conversation and then come to a discussion versus I might be concerned that if I don't like this game, I'm now scared to say anything because everyone else at the table seems to be enjoying it, but we were never going to have that conversation. So I don't know if they are or not, but I'm, I know I'm scared of speaking up, whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So the four game rule is a really good one. And I like it. Um, you can, if you have the flexibility and the time you could play on an off day in parallel. Right. So like my game group, we play every other Thursday. Um, you know, if we wanted to try and arrange something and we were all free, maybe we would play a different game on the other Thursdays, right? Yeah. So we could do a switchy, a switcheroo-easies or something. Um, you can play, you can try different systems on games when not everybody can be there, right? So they can be your stand-in one-shot um, for when somebody can't make it, whatever it is, um, throw something else in so that you have something else to play and then everybody gets to kind of dip their toes in without a lot of commitment, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can play at conventions or game days when we are comfortable going back to those things. Those are always an opportunity to try out new systems, especially if you're there as a group or as some of the players from the table, um, however many of you there are, to be able to go try playing that together and have that shared experience, um, which is really good. And then the last one is to set specific ex expectations about the length of a game so that if you're coming to a table and saying, I really want to try this game. I know it's kind of out there. I really just want to tell this concise story and then we can decide what to do next. Right. 
and this is how my particular game tends to work, it is about running short campaigns at that point, which I know that JT was said was a specific problem for him. But I think it has a lot to do with setting the expectations and having the expectations as a group that this is going to be a short campaign. And when we reach the end of this story, we're done, right? And then we go to something else. Yeah, I mean, you can also do the... Um it's a short game with the option to extend, right? So yeah, I want to tell I want to tell one story. When this story's done, if no one we'll wants decide. to play this game, yeah. we're done. And if people want to play this game, we can talk. We about can extending. either continue it or mm-hmm. we can make characters and like you know jump in that kind of thing. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, the the important part is right. You're leaving an off ramp. Yeah, and I think I think the key difference between those two options is that. For my group, one of our specific intentions is that we want to do exactly what JT is saying. We want to go play a bunch of different games. And because that's one of our like group expectations is that we want to play a ton of different games, um, we have played some longer campaigns, but we also have this expectation that we're going to sit down, we're going to play our campaign until the point that it comes to that good, tasty, gooey, like, oh, conclusion. And then we're going to play something else, right? And that's actually always been the expectation for this particular group. It was set up with the expectation that this was the group we all wanted to play lots of different games instead of getting bogged down into a long campaign. And so um, it's actually, it's, it's, it's a specific table culture thing for this set of people and an expectation. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this is about the expectations that are set for that group and those people. Um, And that has been the end result for me. And it's been great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Ultimately what this comes down to, right. Is that some groups are going to be okay with this. Yeah. Right. You're not going to, you're not going to win over every group. Um, despite all of the advice we've given, if a group is amenable to the idea of changing games, then the stuff that we talked about will help make that um, less anxious, more predictable, um, which should lead to being able to switch out and play um, multiple different games. Some game, some game groups are going to just be like dug in and yeah. only want to play a game. And then I'm going to say the uncomfortable thing, which is um, if the... If that's the only game that that game group wants to play, then you might have to go get another game group to go play other things. Yeah. Uh, And this is where like diving into online gaming, um, that kind of thing. But again, that may or may not be possible based on your amount of available free time. Yeah. Um, So it's not a catch all. Right. I don't say it flippantly like, oh, get a new game group. Like I get getting a new game group is a pretty arduous task and finding time to have a second game group can also be a super arduous task and running like multiple campaigns for people may also be pretty difficult. I'm, I'm fully aware of all of this. Right. Um, but I still am going to say it because sometimes none of the advice that we just talked about will work. Yeah. Sometimes it some, yeah, sometimes you just have to go get another game group. Yeah. Um, and you know, or stick to online game, like or stick to, cons game days and things like that right it can be done yeah it requires a little work yeah um and i think really what it comes down to to go all the way back to our first our first commentary on this what this is really about is changing people's expectations about what your games look like and what your play style looks like and it's sometimes difficult to do that quickly um it's very much about you know, changing those group expectations. Um, It is a lot easier to create a group with the set expectation 
of doing it and then continue to do it. And I think that is part of the reason that it's worked so well for my group in particular, because we had that expectation up front um, versus a lot of game groups. I think by default, if you don't discuss this expectation intentionally, um, there is a long history of assuming that you will get into a game and play that game forever, right? For life. For life, your 10-year campaign, you know? Um, so I think this, the, really this entire conversation, when it comes right down to it, is about expectations, setting the expectations, and changing the expectations, and then making that the most comfortable experience possible for everyone involved. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool, cool. All right, I think that's our wrap up. Yeah. Senda, before we hit the closing, tell us um, tell us a little blurb about another show on the Mistrector Mark Network. Yeah, absolutely. So on the Gnomecast, several gnomes from Gnomes 2 get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. And I will say, if my plans for Valentine's Day's uh, episode work out, it's going to be amazing. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> yes. Say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. Or you can find us by dropping us an email, panda.misdirectedmark.com. Or you can hunt us down on the ticky talkies. Have fun with that. Cool. It'll be great. And then once you find us in one of those places, uh, you can do the thing that Phil is going to tell you about. Like JT Evans did today, ask us a question, uh, pose us a topic, whatever. Um, whatever you want to hear us talk about. Um, that's the thing that we want to do. Uh, I say it every week, so I'll say an abbreviated version of it. We're here to help you have more fun in the games that you're playing. Um, the way we do that is um, by providing you advice to help make things that you want to have happen in your game or to avoid things that you don't want to have happen in your game come up, right? Mm -hmm. We're here for that advice. Um, so toss us a topic. Uh, we pretty much only do this show based on your topics. Once in a blue moon, we do our, we pick a topic for ourselves, but most of the time uh, we're grabbing stuff that you guys are tossing out. You guys toss out some great stuff, by the way. If, if the two of us had to keep coming up with topics for the show, I'm not a hundred percent sure we would have covered everything that we have talked about on the show. So, it is, um, it is awesome that people are consistently sending us stuff in. As we are rapidly approaching the end of season five and getting ready to start season six of this podcast. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you like what we do here or elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, please consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get access to the Bamboo Lounge from this show. The bonus, the outtakes, the after show, sorry, the after show from Mr. Dr. Mark and access to our Slack room for life, which includes not only a whole bunch of great topics talking about food, role playing games, life in general, but also you can hit up our Friday luncheon. It's a bit chaotic when there's a lot of people in there, um, but it's just misdirected mark folks listeners hosts content creators whatever hanging out having lunch on a friday second breakfast if you're on mm -hmm. the west coast but it's us just seeing each other face to face and talking about games life jobs whatever um it's nice it's been we've been doing it since the pandemic started and um we've been doing it every friday and i love it so much so it's a thing it's pretty great i'm usually there yeah yeah, yeah. Um, we thank you very much if you're 
already uh, patronizing the show. If you're not, um, we totally understand. There's another thing you can do. It's just super helpful um, in general for us to um, help get other people to listen to the show. What is that thing, Senda? Uh, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast of your choice or podcatcher of your choice. Um, or or you can uh, just let other people know about the show, um, other people who might be helped by these topics. Um when people say on Twitter, hey, what are you listening to? If you feel like it and you are so inclined, you can say Pandas, Dog, and Games, and we will love you forever. Thank you so much to everybody who's left us reviews and pointed us out to other people. That really is how we get new listeners, and we love you all. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Say, Senda, mm-hmm. what is your feeling about playing mutant animals? Hmm. I mean, I'll try anything once. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. All righty. It's brownie day. It's brownie day. I'm making, I just I'm making finished, brownies right after I've, this. I finished eating up all my brownies that I made last week. I very badly need to go grocery shopping today. It's grocery shopping day for me, which is less exciting. This is first time I've ever made brownies from scratch because um, on your ongoing campaign to <laughs> stop buying stuff in boxes that you have all the ingredients for in your house... Um, <laughs> It is brownie. my ongoing campaign to convince you, yes. which is working <laughs> yes. because I have abandoned pancake mix. I know because because you, I can just make pancakes. You don't even, now. In fact, yeah. I'm making pancakes tomorrow because because pancakes are like yes because pancakes are all the ingredients that are sitting in my house. So. <laughs> like you literally already have everything. You don't need to buy a separate mix for the pancakes. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready to rock and roll? I really am. Okay. You got a pen to mark some times? I sure do. Here we go. Bloop. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Give me 30 seconds to paint a mind picture here. Over that conversation about which game we want to pick, I am imagining us standing at the edge of a pool that is filled with RPGs. And then we're like, I don't know, which one do you want to do? And then we both just like dive into it like um, like the Oh shit! Um, childhood like Scrooge cartoon. McDuck. Yes, diving into the money. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going with that. I I and was <laughs> I was with you, with you the whole way. Okay, good. My mic is peaking a ton, and we're gonna reel it in a little. Okay. <laughs>